What's up, guys? Welcome back to season two, episode number one. This is Sit Down with Sid podcast. I have an amazing guest today, all the way from Cyprus, Isaac Kakon, and he is a chronic pain warrior, survivor, and uh, 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 I am very excited to have him on board. Uh, hi, uh, hi, Isaac. How are you doing today? How are you doing, Sid? Thank you very much. What a what an intro. Thank you for having me. How's everything? Everything is great. You know, um, we are really excited to launch season two and uh, we could have not asked for a better guest than yourself to be a part <laughs> of this uh, uh, season, you know. Um, Thank you, man. I, I know you have reached out to us in the past and, you know, we wanted to kind of get you going in the first episode of the season two. So I think uh, before we kind of get into, you know, your life story and everything, would you mind taking a moment to give a little bit of brief intro about yourself, you know, to our audience who don't know who you are, you know. A hundred percent. Yeah, thank you. Uh, again, thank you for having me. Excited to be the first podcast for season two and congratulations to you guys. Uh, a bit about me. I'm from Canada originally. I'm born in Montreal, raised in Montreal. I come from a very normal background, which means uh, my parents were divorced, uh, which means the upbringing wasn't as easy as I wished it could have been, I guess, back then. Uh, come from a big family. I'm uh, I'm Jewish also, but my mom got married twice. We're nine siblings. Uh, at the age of 14, I left to Israel. I decided that uh, we're going to do a year. My mom said, because I was acting off like every good teenager, she said, why don't you take a year abroad, go to like a closed boarding school, go learn another language, go meet new people. This like self journey type of thing. She thought it was the best thing that could have worked out for me. So uh, from there, at the age of 14, moved country, somewhat learned a new language, uh, moved on from there. I was the average Joe, always somewhat extrovert, always somewhat very positive, smiling. Um, at, I, at the age of 23, I actually got married. I got married young. 23, I got married. Uh, after my first kid, about a year into that, I decided that Israel was too hectic. It was too much action and moving, and it wasn't exactly for me. I wanted to start something off, you could say, a bit slower. So uh, I moved to Cyprus. I moved to Cyprus with my wife, my kid. Now, thank God, I have two kids. Uh, and you could say I was the average life. It wasn't something too unique. Um, I worked 14 hours a day sometimes. Very average person. I was dealing with support for marketing company. I was trying to learn a bit of the marketing slash branding world. I was just starting out my life. Uh, but that's my life, give or take. It's not anything different. It's not too unique. I don't have... The worst of backgrounds when it comes to upbringing. I don't have the easiest of backgrounds. Uh, I didn't feel as a child, you don't really understand the concept of money, but I knew we weren't rich. And the older you get, you know really how unrich you may be compared to the world. Uh, again, I must have had some things that happen with me emotionally, because when a child is left at the age of uh, 14, and he makes his own decisions and you know, we're narcissistic. We truly believe in, in I and ourselves. So there was a lot that was built, but the average, like every other person, I guess I would know. But back then, it was it was all about I. I was unique. So that was my life. Everything revolved somewhat around me. But at the same time, nothing was unique about me. Great. <laughs> so let me ask you now, how many years you have been in Cyprus now? I've been in Cyprus for 
almost four years. Okay, and then do you plan on uh, settling in Cyprus for long term or do you still want to explore another country in the world where you think that might benefit you? We don't know yet. You see, as a public speaker today, uh, mm -hmm. most of the uh, some job opportunities I get, you travel. But basing myself when I go back to a place, Cyprus, I live in Paphos, so it's like a quiet, quiet area. Mm -hmm. I enjoy that piece. Okay. As I, I, I could be very outgoing, very expressive, but when it comes down to somewhat needing to zen out, I feel like home and your surroundings, that area you choose is very important. And I don't specifically know if my future is in Cyprus, uh, but at the moment, this is where I'm at. Great. So let me um, uh, ask you, Isaac, I know you brought up the word public speaking. I know now you're a motivational speaker. You're into public speaking. You talk about your life. Uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, what transpired in your life that brought you to where you are in terms of becoming a motivational speaker, um, helping people recover, you know, from their traumas, etc. My story, well, this is a this is a pretty cool story. This is where I jump into literally, you would say, uh, 2019. I'm married. It's been a couple of years. I have a baby girl on the way. I had a motorcycle accident. And uh, when I had the motorcycle accident, it was August 27, 2019. So more than three years ago now. That day somewhat changed my life. And that was when I guess things were forced to change. So I was forced to do things differently. I was put into these situations. So it's not really my fault. And what I mean by that is I had an accident that when I went bumper to bumper with the car, I was driving the bike. Mm -hmm. Upon accident, I didn't have any airtime. I didn't, when I hit the car, my body was pushed completely to the floor, floor automatically, which caused my left arm upon impact on the asphalt to actually explode. So 95% of my bicep exploded on impact with the floor, uh, not just the bicep, but the bone, the tissue, the nerves, everything. And there was only a little piece of skin holding my arm together. I actually thought that I had lost my arm on the spot. I thought it was amputated automatically. It was a friend of mine who actually was uh, near me while I was driving, who told me not to move, that it was still somewhat connected. But uh, that was the day everything changed because with my luck, not only did I destroy the arm, but I, upon impact, my head tilted when I hit the floor, causing the body weight to really, you would say, push my neck to the side, to the ring. Uh, whoever understands a bit of the nervous system, I tore my C5 to mm -hmm. my T1. So it's all oh, the wow. neck, all the way. It's, it's, your, it's everything in the neck and in the brain that connects the left arm somewhat of your chest and the back of your back, the high part of your back. The T1 is the beginning of your back. So I tore the left limb completely right out of socket from the nervous system, the root of the brain. And the beauty about the root of the brain is that it's like the motherboard to a computer, right? If you ruin something on your computer, if you burn something on the, on the computer, you could always change it. You could reconnect the wires, the electricity. But if you burn the motherboard, then you got to change the whole computer. You ruined the socket. It's done. And the brain is that. And science today, when it comes to the nervous system, we don't truly understand it and its capacity. And when we've seen cases like mine, people who rip the nervous system from the brain, 
well, they just amputate because the statistics aren't with us. It's not that they can't believe the, the theory that we talk about when healing the nervous system, but statistically we've seen that it takes a lot of time. I do physiotherapy three hours a day, four hours a day. I go mm -hmm. four or five times to the gym and I'm constantly working either on the arm, connecting the mind to muscle. I'm always, I'm like on a four to seven hour basic process with my arm and mm -hmm. healing a day. And financially, no one's going to cover you. No one's going to pay insurance for seven years and no one's going to want to pay multiple operations. So they just get rid of the arm. That wasn't enough. I mm -hmm. probably must have been really hard headed. <laughs> you know, I said as a kid, sometimes you feel victimized or whatever, maybe. But I was probably so hard headed that God decided that just disabling me would probably not be enough. I'm going to leave him with chronic pain and mm -hmm. chronic pain. I was left with neuropathic pain. It's when you damage the nervous system. And when I ripped the nerves collect, connecting my left arm, it ripped from the brain. So the sensory just went off. That electricity I felt is still there. When I filter my thoughts, it's as if I'm still feeling my motorcycle accident, mm -hmm. which means it's as if someone's cutting my arm off at all times. Mm -hmm. Now, this pain has been with me 24-7. When I sleep, when I'm awake, when I'm smiling, when I'm crying, when I'm laughing, when I'm working out, it's constantly there. And it's even till now. Right now even we're talking right now. The way I could explain the feeling mm. I'm going through. Right now, Sid, someone's cutting my arm off. That's really? It. Yeah, it's not. And, and people somewhat, I don't expect people to, you see a lot of, I feel like the chronic community has a lot of expectations. If it's not mm -hmm. to how we should go back and heal or, or how people should be a bit more empathetic because we really do suffer and you don't see it. But again, I would have never understood what I'm going through today. For me to expect from others to understand, hey, my arm's being cut off right now is not a reality that I believe in because the truth is no one could understand it unless they physically went through it. But it left me with that pain till now. And, uh, you know, the world of chronic slash disabled is a very, it's a dark, dark place. It's, it's full of pain. It's full of, it's an endless journey, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what happened. So <laughs> after well, like I got the... Yeah, I got to give you props, you know, sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> I got to give you props, man, because uh, you do not show any kind of symptom or signs on your face that you have chronic pain, even though we are talking right now, you're as cool as one can be. <laughs> and uh, I got to give you props, man. You are very strong-minded, very strong-willed human being, you know? Thank you very much. And God bless you. It means a lot. Thank you very much. And I believe that everyone has a power like this i don't actually believe i'm unique i don't i don't think i'm great i don't think uh that i have more than others when it comes to pain or anything but i, I truly do believe deep down inside we are we are all godly to a certain extent we're all very unique as long as we work and we find that inner power within each one um and sometimes some people are able to learn just by by talking or by listening or by studying and there are others that sometimes have to go through it physically. And I guess I was, I truly believe that I was one of those people. I truly believe this accident saved my life. It brought purpose to my life, right? So once I'm able to go beyond the average, beyond the normal understanding in my emotion, then why not me? Why can't I be the guy who is like that story of that guy? And that was a big thing for me. It was, 
it was, I'm suffering. I'm disabled. They said, I'll never have my arm again. Let's cut it off. And from day one, it somewhat became like a war because we got to a hospital. They said, we're cutting it. So we didn't allow, we called another hospital in Cyprus. They were willing to take me all the way to, uh, to Limassol to the specialist who deals with nerve transplants. Mm -hmm. So I got there, hospitalized a couple of hours, woke up uh, after a six hour operation. And uh, they, they, they told me you're disabled, but all the swelling and everything goes down. We'll do a nerve transplant and look in the world, not even a percent heal. But so you still have the arm, correct? Your arm. Oh yeah, yeah. We never, we never got rid of the arm. I'm like, I'm really proud to say. Okay. It. And, I, and okay. I'm holding it right. This yeah. isn't pure disability anymore. This isn't a hundred percent lost my arm. I have function in the arm. But they said, look, two percent in the world, one percent heal from cases like this. Nerve transplants from the root. Mm -hmm. But he said our statistics are 50-50. We choose certain people that were willing to do it and the ones that work according to it and et cetera, it works out. And that is something that is phenomenal regarding my doctors because they brought faith to science. Mm -hmm. right? A lot of doctors don't do that. Today, we're very dependent in medicine. We keep, we shop, we're, we're shopping for doctors at all times for someone to help us. But the reality is, is sometimes the doctor could only help you in an emotional way. He has to make you believe in you. And that was something my doctors did. They do it till now. Like I just I had, I just came back from the hospital today. I showed the doctor my movement and everything. And the only thing you could say is like, wow, Isaac, you're incredible. You're incredible. This is like five nerves, the root nerves from the brain. Like this doesn't make sense, Isaac. You should really give yourself a hug. And um, I guess I don't see it as much like that, but the whole process of, of, of what I've gone through it took a lot to get to where I am today, but the whole process is a beautiful, again, there's a lot of love shown from people. People think that like when you're chronically sick, no one's going to go ahead and really talk with you or be with you. But Sid, we got on the call. The first thing you're saying are things like, Isaac, really, chapeau, like you're doing good. Look at you. No, we could not imagine doctor calling me incredible. People stop me at the gym to tell me I have motivation. Thank you for being so motivating and inspiring. As I don't see it. I always see myself as if I'm a bad person, as if. Not that I'm truly a bad person, but I understand the animalistic urges of a person and how we behave and how we act. So I'd rather be a warrior in a garden and not a gardener at war. So I'm constantly within my thoughts and I remind myself, Isaac, you're not actually that special. Even if someone tells you you're special, you're not that special, right? There's a million special people. What makes you so unique? Until you I guess that's just your humble. Me. That's just your humble nature, and you know, willing to stay <laughs> humble. You. And uh, <laughs> um, I want to take you back real quick. You know, before we move forward on this. So now you are in the hospital. You have a baby coming in. You're newly married. Tell us. Tell us a little bit about what your mindset is like. You are on the hospital bed. You know that this is not gonna good. You know, this you're not gonna be the same ever again. What you were pre-accident. So tell me about that. You know, I mean, that's that has to be very taxing on a human brain. I mean, newly married, kid coming in, being a <laughs> so father. I wasn't, I wasn't newly married. I was uh, I was already married for, you could say, I don't remember how long, two, three years now. Oh, so I apologize. Okay. It's okay. And I had a kid, but I was also with another one on the way. Okay. Got I have it. a boy who's five years old, and I have a, a daughter who's turning three years old. 
Okay. So my daughter was born after my accident. My wife was five months pregnant. Okay. When I had my accident, the first thing I realized that first of all, I'm so hard headed that it's my second motorcycle accident. It's not my first. I had I actually ruined my leg for two years on my first accident. I wasn't paralyzed, but it took me two years to heal the oh, platform wow. of my foot. Yeah. Uh, but this accident now, I remember hitting the floor and really, you know, when they say you get the wind hit out of you. So that mm -hmm. was it. Like I was, I, I actually took a second to remind myself that I believe in God. There's one God. I'm willing to understand that life isn't just life. And there's a hierarchy and higher reasoning to things that I didn't, I didn't put together. I knew that this was not, that I might not make it out from this one. Mm -hmm. uh, but once I, they got me to a hospital with this amount of pain, I'm screaming my eyes out. I'm, but once I got there, that's it. You could say that the lights were out. I was on so much drugs to contain mm -hmm. my pain mm -hmm. that for the two months that I was there, I can't, I can't recall things. I, I remember the pain. I remember, I remember the conversation of being disabled. I remember like when the doctor told me, I, I just, I broke down. I'm like, I don't, I can't, none of this can be processed at that moment. Mm -hmm. Don't try to process something right away. That's processing with emotion or truly processing with having zero awareness to the situation. But uh, after two months, that's the real trick. Uh, once I left the hospital with finally like the whole day, helped me recover the arm a month and a half later we did a nerve transplant connecting the arm to the brain and then now it's two and a half months they're releasing me to go home i remember when i was left to go home before that i'm getting every four hours morphine pethidine cocktails of pills and everything to help me reduce my pain and then i get home to tablets of morphine to limited amounts of drugs to not as much help i was attached for over two months to oxycodone 24 7 it was running in my vein 24 7 and what's not even a question i needed to be sedated 24 7 so i wouldn't be within the reality of pain and sometimes people think doctors exaggerate to certain things but guys pain could kill you pain to an extent will forget about even killing you if someone asks you would you rather i kill you as if you could be unplugged you'd probably say yes that's where pain could get to. Like people truly don't understand. So when I went home, again, I went into the dark loop of, it's not, this is crazy. A lot of people are scared because they think facts are truth. Facts are not truth. Statistics mm -hmm. are just a good indicator of where you are within that reality. And uh, the reality is, is that 40% of chronic patients go through multiple suicide attempts. Mm -hmm. right? That's a crazy statistic. You have 80% of chronic patients who lose 15 years of their lives to opioids, 10 to 15 years of their lives on a dependency like opioids, uh, pain stimulants, uh, nerve stimulators, uh, antidepressants, and the list go on. Most people never actually recover. One in five irrelevant to the world of pain, of chronic pain or disability, live on a dependency. This is the average people. You can ask one in five, you'll find is living on a pill. This is a very dark place. People are trying to kill themselves because I've realized that the biggest problem with chronic pain and disability is the lack of purpose. 
there is no more reason of living. You see, I have children, but they have no father. I have a wife, she has no husband. I'm always at home, but I'm never at peace. You see, even when you want to go ahead and take control, you leave your house, you try to go for a walk, you can't. And then what happens is, is that it changes your character. You're messing with a lot of drugs. You're messing with pain. Your body is constantly in the feeling of fight or flight, which means your body could not produce its own dopamine right now, its own endorphins. It can't help itself. Again, we can't wire both systems at the same time. So someone who is pessimistic or suffering or in a world of, 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 of I call it victimization, Again, I know you're not the fault for being the victim, but if you see yourself as the person who is in pain and why is it your fault, that means you're the victim in the story. If I was reading a story, I was the victim. And that doesn't let you heal. When you get to a point like that, the ones around you start to suffer. So not only do you have no purpose, but you also are hurting the ones beside you. So the truth is, it'd be better that you weren't even here. A lot of people think that it comes from a selfish place to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's so people we're so confused really of what the idea of suicide is because it's coming from a place of such pain and lack of purpose that it's better for the world if you're not here. You're actually doing it with a sense of self-nullification. You're telling yourself it's the better thing to do for people. And that is what people don't understand is that is the pain you're going from. And if and if that's not their mental state of mind, then it's a lack of awareness. You don't even know you're killing yourself. You tell people you want to die. You tell people you're done with life. And when no one's there and you're going to bed, you abuse your meds and you don't think twice if your heart's going to last the night. You just abuse. And that's when I realized that I had fell into that loop. I had become one of these statistics. And it was for about a year... Mm -hmm. three months that this is how I lived within four walls. Mm -hmm. I used to tell my wife I'm done with life. I used to abuse my meds. I used to look for drugs externally. It's a scary concept, but 70% of heroin addicts in the Western culture come from the opioid epidemic, yes. which, means, which means that seven out of 10 heroin abusers you see have been on opioids. They were as prescriptions or they were abusing them with friends or whatever may be but seven out of ten so I, I realized that, yeah yeah no, okay go ahead please I'm, i want to ask you a question on this but i want you to finish first. 100%. i realized that when a friend of mine i'd see them having a barbecue or something and this is what i mean without even realizing no conscience i'd be like yo guys if anyone has any type of drugs give me i'll take it to get rid of the pain like i didn't care anymore and that's a sad place to be so, so let me ask you now, for a year and three months, when you were in this dark phase, going through this every single day, telling your wife, you know, you have no purpose anymore, uh, it must have impacted your relationship with her and your kids to uh, a very negative, I don't know if that's the right word I'm using, but uh, I mean, you are a father too now, to two kids, and you know, we all sense energy, you know, kids are very smart. So how was that? You know, I mean, has it affected? Uh, it must have affected your relationship, but has it bounced back to a positive stream now between your kids, with your wife? Give us a little bit of background on that, because I think it's important for people to hear you out 
because you know as you said you don't know unless you are in their shoes right so so i want all of us including the audience to understand this you know uh, the transformation of uh, say pessimistic eye sector an optimistic bright motivational speaker that i'm speaking to right now wow so first of all i'm going to tell you guys how i got to what i believed because it continues again with my story i'm going to tell you the impact we have on the family and that's by the way when you're doing what i'm about to do right now this is how you come to conclusions with yourself this is how you're supposed to process work what are the upsides what are the downsides when people are doing a study, you're looking at all ends. See, my daughter, my wife was pregnant when I had the accident. And whoever knows what a chronic flare is when pain gets worse. It goes from worse to worse, or sometimes from depending on the type of chronic pain you have, you can have from okay to suddenly bad. But the idea is just getting worse. And my flares were so bad, I used to scream like a pregnant lady. But my wife was actually pregnant. And people don't realize the impact you have on a pregnant woman. See, a lot of people say that, yeah, it's not you, it's okay, or it's going to be okay, the child's not here, I'll take accountability soon or something like that. But what I realized is, is that the cognitive brain is created within three months. That's the development of the brain. Now, if you're developing the brain in three months and people tell you, be careful, because the mother's reaction will affect the child. The mother's body is teaching the child's body how to react to things. If the mother is in constant stress or sad or in fear, the child will learn these things. And I was able to see it firsthand. Why? Because when I started my recovery, I realized that my daughter doesn't deal with loud noise. She cannot hear screams. She cannot. She is traumatized before she was even born. Dr. Gabor Matei talks about this type of trauma. It's trauma that was given to you before you even needed. It's already in the system. And that's why some people think it's a gene. But no, it's, it's more of a generational thing. Because someone's doing something externally to affect that person's way of thinking. And yes, you affect your kids. My kid at one point, my older son didn't want to talk to me. He was scared of me. My daughter had to live beside a man who was screaming at all times. Not because I want to, because the pain was so intense. I felt like someone was cutting my arm. So I think this all the time. Your wife, man, I don't, my wife's a warrior. I was blessed, really. I'm, I'm blessed. This whole argument, if men need women and women need men, guys, Yes, we need one another. And women don't need a man. They need a husband. And we need wives. And we need these type of relationships. They're more than just one type of relationship. See, I always tell men, guys, we are three things. We are first men. And then you get married, you become a husband. And then you become a father. And all of these three characteristics, you have to use separately in separate times. Like I could not go ahead and try to be a husband with my kids or with my boss I, the only way it works out is if I know what I'm supposed to do at the right time. And we need our women as well. We need our wives. My wife stood there like a, I don't even know if it's a warrior because the trauma she had to go through by seeing her husband on the floor shaking. You know, I went through withdrawals. I had to, I had to get off the drugs after a year and a half. I was hugging toilets, shaking like a junkie, scratching my skin till I was bleeding. And my wife had to go through all of that. But today... You see, people underestimate the power of change. Today, I have the, ironically, I'm the happiest I've ever been. My wife is genuinely happy at all times. We see eye to eye. 
Our relationship is strong. We have core values. And again, I'm going to explain the values is everything. But the family is together and people say, yeah, but everyone's going to leave some sort of pain. Yeah, it's like traditional pain. Whatever your parents did to you, the way you turned out, you see yourself, you're okay. Don't add more than that. If you're able to reduce from that, it's even better. But I realized that I'm guiding my children now. I'm actually a father. And the reason for that is because is I sat with children of chronic patients. And the filtered words, emotions that this man used in front of me one day is what someone helped change my, my way of thinking is I asked him, I said, your dad, what is a chronic patient? How is it? He said, well, fatherhood, I didn't have. I love my dad, but I didn't have it. And you have to understand, it's not easy to live in the shadow of a disabled, suffering person. Shadow, disabled, suffering. Wow, these words are so deep. I'm going to do that to my kid. Can't let that happen. So today, we have a very strong roots foundation at home. We love each other. We play. Of course, there's little arguments. It's part of growing. Can't grow without a bit of arguing here and there. But it's not even what you see as normal today. Today, it's a lot less. Like, we don't just get upset for, for you know, some men laugh when I say, don't go home hungry and mad. Okay, that's when you need to be a husband. You have to be going home empathetic. Use empathy and reasoning. Not statistically, yes, if I work nine hours, then you should make a meal. You're right. If we're coming to playing rights, yeah, you're right. But in life, we need to learn to reason at times. We need to use empathy. And maybe your wife had a lot to do. So take five minutes. And I promise you, it's crazy. But when I learn to take control of myself, I go to my wife. I say hi first. Then my wife says, uh, by the way, you're hungry. What would you like to eat? When I come home hungry and I say, well, there's nothing to eat. I want to eat. She goes, oh, what? You're hungry? What, what do you mean? Oh, what? I'm hungry. Yeah, I'm telling you I'm hungry because I want to eat. But even the way people react to you, if you're taking accountability, is beautiful. My wife loves me because, well, look, I put in the work as well. I'm willing to show her that I won't let life break us. We'll be stronger. And we do it as a team, including my wife, including my kids. I make them part of, of chores. I make them part of life. I teach them values at a young age. I teach them morals in an immoral world. That's what I'm doing. And I think that it it's it's the best thing that happened to me. Wow. The best thing that happened to me. Isaac, I'm going to ask you this question, you know, now going through all of this, what is the purpose of your life? Why are you doing what you're doing? The purpose of my life. So through your journey. Yeah, through your journey. My purpose, you see, I, I believe that everyone everyone has the same purpose. And the main purpose of life is that if the world is a filtered place, right? Because the more you filter something, the easier it becomes to understand, right? And I believe in God. If God is something that is unknowing, I can't understand it, then the only way he could make himself somewhat relevant to the human is by filtering the ideas all the way till you have somewhat a of a world that you could live in and react with people, right? So it's all a filter, which means it's gonna have to get dark. If you're filtering Eden, that means you're going to get to the concept of hell. Depending how much you're filtering, you're gonna get there. If the idea of life is all about filters and understanding and learning, 
then I believe that we're all here to spread light. Because the more we filter, the darker it gets. So when it's dark, shine. Become bright. Start using what you have in your life and your unique tools to spread that light. And sometimes those tools are a purpose that are given to you by God, like an accident, like a tragedy, like becoming rich. Sometimes you have specific tools that are for you to spread positivity, optimism, and light in a dark world. Which ones are your tools? That you know. But I believe we all should have the same purpose. And that's to leave a moral place for the future to come so that other people could live on this earth as well. I don't have to be so selfish. I'm going to ruin everything because of how I feel, because of my beliefs. How about how we feel, our beliefs? So Isaac, now I, I do see on your website, you have recovery through values. You know, you use that phrase a lot. Uh, tell us some more about that. How did that come in existence and and what is the sole purpose what is the story behind recovery to values wow this is my favorite story i guess one it's somewhat so simple when it happened mm -hmm. again simplicity sometimes can be such a tool in life but after a year and uh and three months of all of this pain and suffering and uh and trying to recover i guess i wasn't trying to recover back then i was the victim but uh uh I was going to physiotherapy, et cetera. So out of the first year and something of trying to heal, we don't know how. Titanium, guys, also, it doesn't break easily. It's like the mm -hmm. hardest type of metal they use to do operations. Excuse me. But the titanium broke into two, completely shattered into two, cracked down the middle. We don't even know how. So I was re-hospitalized, and uh, they were going to change the titanium. Mm -hmm. And uh, from there, continue the recovery. He said, you'll go back a bit because there was damage again inside, et cetera. But uh, it's just a couple of steps back. We still believe we could keep moving forward. You'll be hospitalized. Back then, I was such a big junkie. I was so destroyed, but not because I was a junkie, because of the pain. Mm -hmm. I remember telling my wife, you know what? The upside of this, <laughs> listen to Allah. Sometimes I say to myself, they say the word in Hebrew, Ayeka. where are you? Where are you mentally? Listen to mm -hmm. where I was. Mm -hmm. I look at my wife and I tell her the last time I felt some sort of ease from this pain was when I was at the hospital the first time around. They were giving me the drugs in the vein every four hours, whatever I want. They know me. At least I'll come back there. I'll be able to get some help with some drugs and I'll have a week of vacation type of thing. I get there and that's my expectations. <laughs> expectations on the world and on others and not on yourself is just a, a disaster. And I get there. Within an hour, they poke me three times with three doses of morphine. And I'm talking like this. I'm not feeling anything. And the truth is, is that, Isaac, you've been doing it for a very long time. It's been a month, a year and three months. There's no, of course, you won't feel the effects the way you want to feel them the first time you got it. But I couldn't understand that. And the doctor looked at me, he came in at the third time. He looked at me, he's like, I can't give you just dose after dose after dose. He's like, you realize... It's illegal. It's dangerous. You're going to die. There's so many reasons why I shouldn't have to be coming back to the room to tell you this. He said, Solomon, with his Greek accent, Re, you are a junkie. You're a junkie. And it slapped me in the face. I was, I was like, really? Not even, I'm not even able to find peace in drugs anymore. Like, there's nothing left. 
And I remember going downstairs to smoke a cigarette. And what happened was, is that people were trying to leave the parking lot. Mm-hmm. They're putting the ticket and the ticket's coming out and they're flipping it and they're trying all these things to go ahead and pay the ticket to leave. And suddenly these groups started to collectively get there. It was one, five, ten. And they're all different types of people. Israelis, Russians, Canadians, everything's there. So I said, it can't be that everyone's that dumb. What is everyone looking for? What, what's going on here? Why is there 10 people around the parking lot exit? Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, they're all being kind humans. Human rights, the man owns the parking lot. You have to pay. We're all obliging. Again, I always talk about human rights. Human rights, the most craziest concept of human rights is that it's very obligating to everyone else. My human rights is your obligations. You have to obligate them as human rights. Everyone's obliged to stick to everyone, which means that they were doing the right thing to work as a society. They're not just stealing and doing their thing. But now what? Now it's been like five, 10 minutes. Why do they keep standing here? What's going on? Is no one figuring it out? And again, life, the matrix puts all these things in front of you so that it could be a moral place for one another. But because sometimes there's so many things, we kind of forget what we want. And I said, what do these people want? They want to go home. They want an exit. They want to leave. That's their purpose right now. Again, their purpose at that moment is I need to leave, but there are rules. Let me follow the rules. What happens when everything was said and done and you still didn't figure it out? You go back to the source. What do you want? Well, I want to leave. Okay, you've done everything according to the book. What's your next step? I'm going to look if there's another exit. And the second my head clicked to exit, I looked at the main exit and the gate was open. The gate was open. That's why the tickets weren't. There was a problem with the machine. It's free today. This happened for a week almost. One, two, three, four days. I took my wife the next day. Come, I need to show you something. And I think this is what they talk about when they talk about self-awareness. Come, come, come. And uh, I spent a week sitting in my bed asking myself, Isaac, how aware are you of your situation? Aren't you sick of your life? And I realized my first step to healing was self-nullification, self-sacrifice, being sick of what I did to myself, being sick of the life I've created. You see, we all like to talk about how everyone else is in charge of my problems in a way, or I'm upset because he did this. You're going to tell me you have no freedom of choice? You're, you're, You're debunking the concept of choice. If he is in charge of how I feel, that means I'm not in charge of anything, which means I have no choice, which means you're a slave to reality. I don't want to be a slave anymore. I was sick of the life I've created. And that's how it started to change. And the more I started studying and realizing, I I was asking myself, okay, what are these things I'm talking about right now? Self-awareness, self-sacrifice. They're moral values. They're like your pillars to life. They're values. When everyone talks about healing, when I, they all have different ways of saying it, but we're connecting to things that have true meaning to life because there's no meal, there's no vacation, there's no amount of money that's going to take away my pain. So the only thing that, that <laughs> Winston Churchill says it, you know, the value, everyone wants the price to everything, the value to nothing. 
find the value in life. And then you even have something to sell with a price tag. And that's why I talk about recovery through values. It will help you physically, mentally, spiritually, and financially. Because if you can execute one of your own personal problems to life, that means you have a service to someone else's life. And slowly but surely, everything started to fall into place. And again, my, my values somewhat changed up a bit, but the core is still there. For example, I used to believe in acceptance. Mm-hmm. You know, when I started my journey, and a lot of people in recovery talk about acceptance. I think the word acceptance is a very big confusion. Right? Because you go to someone who's suffering like me, who's supposed to be disabled like me, and you tell them, you got to learn to accept your reality. Acceptance means there's boundaries. This is where I'm going. More than that, I can't do anything about it. So I'm not, I agree, you, the word, the terminology, and this is why people say, why do you care what we say about things? No, because when you fuck with the terminology, look, look at the difference. Not acceptance, which is a boundary, but rather processing. Learn to process what you go through. You don't need to accept it. But as long as you know how to internalize and process what you're going decide what to do with it. But if you've already decided or society has decided for you, learn to accept what you want. I don't know. I don't know. So acceptance to me is such a, 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 a negative value to healing but it's somewhat related to the idea of processing. So again, they change up a bit, right? And you and it makes sense because I'm not thinking the way I was thinking 10 years ago and I'm probably going to think differently in 10 years if I keep studying. That's the beauty of knowledge. And that's why there's always mistakes in the past. Guys, stop judging people for the past. Stop getting upset at people for the... It's because of someone like you, Sid, that I, ha- I am who I am. You see, people don't realize... I am who I am because of people who are themselves. You see, if he chooses to be A, that means I have the option to be B. But if we were all A, then no one knows what B is. And people, really and it's the same religion. It's the same thing with, with everything. Politics, all of it. You see, without having... And this, I don't like talking about religion. The word I told you, I don't like it. But think about it. The only way I could be Jewish is if there was a Christian and a Muslim. So just because there is a Christian and a Muslim, I'm super grateful for you. I love you. You are an endless need to my life. Period. Period. I'm not going to debate. I'm not going to fight anything. I'm not going to go deep into core of what I believe, how you believe, what you do. But the fact that you are you gives me the right to be who I am today. And these are things that I learned from pain. I only learned them from chronic pain. But if we're in a victimized world, then we're actually, and it's not your fault, of course. You were dealt a bad hand. It's not your fault. You could choose. But stop looking for who's right and wrong in all of this, because then you won't get to those values. You need to weigh them out, and they will help you take re-control of your life. So I think if if now I know you're actively a motivational speaker, public speaking, if someone wants to reach out to you, uh, how let our audience know how can they contact you? And also we will put that description in the video as well. So I have my LinkedIn, I have my Instagram, and I have my website. You can also leave an email on, there's my email that you can reach out to also on the website. 
but all three, any form you want over there. And whoever does reach out and wants to, for example, have a conversation, phone, as long as I'm able to help someone else. Again, there is no Isaac without the world. There's no purpose to the name Isaac. Even our name, Sid, think about it. This is something I learned about people, right? When I spent a year in four walls, I never heard my name. My wife calls me honey. My kids call me dad. And I don't call myself Isaac when I'm sitting alone. So my name is purpose is for other people. Down to my name. So whoever needs to reach out, you can reach out in any way you find. But the main ways you could find me easily is Instagram, LinkedIn, and via my website. Recovery. What's your Instagram handle, uh, Isaac? So our my audience. Instagram is Isaac with a K at the end. So it's I-S-A-A-C-K mm -hmm. 3.0. Okay. Isaac 3.0. So we will include all of this. Last question before we wrap this up. What is next for Isaac? What's next for you? <laughs> the truth is, is next, uh, in a week and a half, I have a, have a talk in in Toronto. So that's what's next. Oh, so you're flying all the way to Toronto, Toronto okay. In general. And the reason why I say that is, guys, before my accident, I was starting to work in marketing and mm -hmm. branding. This is mm -hmm. where my life was supposed to go, working in the back office support. I don't know. But today I'm flying to Toronto from Cyprus, not today physically, but in the week to come to go ahead and spread positivity in a dark place. This is like, I'm excited. I don't know what there is to come because there's no limitations. I've learned that in a world of limitations, learn to become limitless. And that's what I'm trying to do. So what is the, I don't know, but I'm excited. And that's already a good start. I'm happy to be around because I'm excited for tomorrow. I don't know what's going to be. That's amazing, man. Uh, your energy is infectious, very positive. Very, very <laughs> Thank popular. you so much, man. You're making me smile and flush every time. <laughs> no, 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 man. I really mean it. You know, it's it's always inspiring to, uh, you know, one thing about, I don't know if I should use this word, humanity is we like to judge others in life. You know, everything is based on judgment. But I think if if we can learn something from each other through their experiences, as you said, about the values, not the price, I think this world will be a better place. It will be much more closer and bonded together, you know? Um, um, I'm, I mean, Isaac, this has been just amazing, man. You know, I'm really moved by your story. I'm really happy where you are. Um, from our side, I want to wish you all the very best. And if there is something we can do for you, you know, please, please, you know, um, let us know. And uh, if there is something, you know, tell our audience, take it away and we wrap this up. You know? Go ahead. To anyone who's listening and out there and feels like he has no purpose, I believe in you. I truly love you. I truly think you're strong enough to overcome. And uh, God bless everyone. Really, fall in love with knowledge. Try to figure out your own journey towards life and how you could do it. And don't give up. Really, don't give up. Hold on. Really, continue. Keep fighting. Keep trying to do it. And God bless everyone. Really, in a time like this, I wish everyone a lot of peace, spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially. We need it. Thank you so much, Isaac. Once again, it's Thank been a pleasure. Sir. and uh, Thank you so much. Uh, wish you all the very best, man. Thanks for your time. You have Thank a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye.